0: Well, for those of you who were here last week, we're actually just going to pick up, obviously, right where we left off. And and this story um, doesn't need a ton of introduction because they just come down from the mountain, from the transfiguration. And and immediately we see exactly why Jesus said we can't make tents and live up here (laughs) like Peter wanted. Peter wanted to just live on the mountain, don't we all? But Jesus, who descended from heaven, understood something about going down. And, and, and the suffering and the sin that was below that he had to go down and take care of. And so today we see why the transfiguration was the transfiguration and not the final revelation of glory. There were still things to be done. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for the witness of your son who came into this world and to show us what you and he and your spirit are like to reveal the triune God to creatures we thank you, Lord, that you have given us eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts to receive this glorious good news. We pray, Lord God, that as we open your word today that you would in fact fill our mouths with cries of mercy, that you would you would teach us what it is to cry out to you, to pray to you, uh, to to know that we do not stand in our own strength and our own wisdom. We pray, Lord God, that you would teach us um, to grow that we wouldn't just have the Spirit, but that we would walk by the Spirit, and that in doing so, we would glorify you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Mark's account of this incident is quite vivid, it is quite detailed, and there are, in fact, three very large portions of it that have no parallel in the other Gospels. The story is given from the point of view of the disciples returning with Jesus from the mountain. That much linguistically is clear. The people who are telling this story to Mark is Peter, most likely, because Mark was Peter's assistant. And and Mark, uh, I don't know if he was directed by Peter to do this. I don't know if they just, by the nature of their relationship. But Mark has no problem <laughs> making Peter look as bad as he actually was. Uh, what's really funny about the other synoptic Gospels is they actually kind of hide it a little bit. Um, you know, they, they sort of mask it. But Mark is like, no, 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 Peter... Peter was very foolish, and Peter saw things, and at the time he said things, he did things. He didn't understand what he saw, he didn't understand what he was saying, he didn't understand what he was doing. And so the exasperation, almost, in this story, of, of the eyewitness, we co- he comes down, Peter, with Christ off of the mountain, and, and this account happens, and you can almost just hear his stunned unbelief in what he's seeing. So we're going to get into that, but. but What I love about Peter is his stunned unbelief is the point that he's included so much in these stories. You know, besides Jesus, he's the person that is talked about and described and whose words are recorded the most of anyone in the Gospels, Peter. And I I think it's so important for us because, like Peter, we believe in Jesus. We want to follow Jesus. But we go through all of the struggles that he went through. It is very hard to follow Jesus. He is at times very very confusing. But at other times, he comes out like he does here, and the compassion and the restraint that he shows for people that are annoying, <laughs> people who are unbelieving, people who are frustrating what he's trying to do, his compassion and his level of mercy and understanding and how he, let, he lets love cover a multitude is just profound. And if, and if he, we didn't have Peter in Jesus' interaction in this way, I think a lot of our Christian walk would be more difficult than it is. Because if you read a story like this and you're like, if he is going to put up with Peter, he might even just put up with me. If he's going to put up with Peter, he could almost put up with anybody. Returning from the glory of the transfiguration to the reality of demonic possession serves to reinforce Jesus' theme. He enters glory only through confrontation with the demonic and the suffering that the fall entails. It's the only way. He took them up on the mountain. He said, look, this is the glory of the Lord. And he shows it to them. And then when they're coming down, right, the disciples are frustrated because they want to stay there. And he says, no, 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 there is suffering still. There is victory still. What you saw was the crown at the end. What we need to do now is go on the war path. And to make that point very clear, Mark then brings Jesus down from the mountain and and immediately puts him in conflict. And and the characters that he's in conflict are the same characters that he's been in conflict since the beginning of the story. The transfiguration was a taste of what lies at the end of the way of the cross. And the way of the cross is what Jesus is so desperately trying to teach them about so we read in chapter 9 of Mark, verse 14. That is where I'm going to start. And we're going to just walk through these verses from verse 14 to verse 29. This is what it says. And when they, came to the, when, when they came to the disciples down from the mountain, they saw a great crowd around them and scribes arguing with them. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him. And he asked them, what are you arguing about with them? And someone from the crowd answered him. Teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute, and whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able. The presence of the scribes indicates that they are witnesses sent out by the Sanhedrin in Jerusalem, just like we have seen in many other stories. Jesus comes down, and lo and behold, who is still hiding in the bushes, watching his every move? The scribes. There is this giant crowd who's desiring for Jesus to fix their problems. right? This is the standard story that we have run into from the beginning of the Gospels. But things actually have taken a turn. It's all the same cast of characters, but the movie is slightly different. Now, we understand that for somebody like Jesus to be doing what he's doing, he... If Israel is doing its job, they have to investigate him. You cannot just have people running around saying these crazy things, doing these crazy things, and and he's got to be checked out, right? This is the kind of thing, as Presbyterians, we have this. If somebody gets wind on Facebook that Mike starts teaching some kind of weird doctrines, lo and behold, there's Dave Hatcher in the back watching one of my sermons. I'm just kidding. Dave wouldn't come himself. He'd send someone. But, but this has happened. Doug Wilson, years ago, had to submit himself to an examination by the CREC to prove the fact that he wasn't a heretic. And, and it was like a four-hour uh, debate or, or question-and-answer thing on the floor of Presbytery. This is, you understand the context. The scribes are here just to make sure that everything is kosher. Now, they get there, and what's, what's going on? Well, Jesus isn't there. They don't know where he is. But here are his disciples, who are not authorized by, by anybody who's official, trying to exercise demons in this crowd, which is not what anybody is supposed to be doing if they don't have, like, a license. And the PCA is like this. You know, the PCA, you can't even preach in the PCA unless you have a license. You can't. I mean, literally. You have to go before the... It's, like, not even ordination. You have to go get a license to preach. And and this is that kind... They have this kind of system. Who are these people thinking that they can exercise demons? So the, the scribes are right in their face. What, what I find to be the poor the nine disciples who stayed behind. But not only does this guy come and he says, hey, fix my son, he's he, he's he's possessed by a demon, and they've, they've actually gotten demons out of people before. They're like, oh, okay, cool, we'll take care of this. Jesus is busy doing I don't know what. But let me take care of this. And then they fail. It doesn't work. And then, boom, bam, there's the scribes right in their face, arguing with them, fighting with them about what they failed to do. So that, right? And then here comes Jesus. So imagine you failed at the thing that Jesus has given you the authority to do in front of the scribes who are now, right? Really, you're in the hot seat now. And then here comes your boss. Oh, man. Now, I don't know if you've ever had this happen to you before. When, when I worked at the courthouse, this happened, right? I failed to do something for, um, there was, there was uh, someone who had to have a warrant removed. I didn't remove it. They're there. They're yelling at me. Right, My manager's behind me trying to help me fix it, and who walks in the door but the judge. And I remember I felt just like this. It's like, okay, well, I'm going to go. I have to go to the bathroom. And I, <laughs> and I just left and went in the back and just prayed hard that I wasn't about to get fired. And that is what these disciples must have been going through. Think how frustrated they are. If you go back to Mark chapter 6, verse 12 through 13, it says this, So they went out, the disciples, and proclaimed that people should repent. And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. So what's wrong? What happened? If they could do it before, why can't they do it now? And and don't the scribes actually at this point have a point. Look at you amateurs. You don't know what you're doing and we've been trying to tell you this for a while. You're following the wrong guy and the... For them, they're probably like, yeah, maybe we are. Now, Jesus says, what what is going on here? Did the disciples say, hey, listen, Jesus, you gave us this task and we failed to do it, and this man desperately needs help. Can you help him? If you look at the text, none of the disciples... Think, oh, we failed, and so the person who gave us the authority to do this, the one who we've seen has authority over demons, is Jesus. And so what he needs, forget the scribes, forget this, forget that. Let's, let's bring this person before Jesus. Jesus is here. Finally, he's going to get some help. No, because they're throwing a little hissy fit. Right? This happens... <laughs> This happens. I have kids. You put one of them in charge. You go away for a little while. You come back, and nobody's doing what they're doing. And there's the kid. You're like, what's going on? And the kid who's in charge doesn't want to answer because it's obvious what's going on. Failure. The scribes don't explain anything. Who has to speak for himself here? The father. The father is the one in the crowd who, is, who speaks up and answers Jesus' question. Now, how do you think He feels. He's got this son who's falling down rigid, who gets thrown into fires, who gets thrown into water. The spirit that's inside of him is clear. It's not just epilepsy. The kid isn't just sick. Something has possessed him, and it's trying to kill him. And he thinks, oh, Jesus can save me. I came to see Jesus, and all I found were these clowns, and they couldn't do it. And now they're arguing with these theologians, and I don't understand what's going on. Could somebody please just give me some help? The scribes and the disciples are equally inept. They are unable to assist this man. Just like it said in James, they, 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 right? they don't ask, and, and they end up quarreling with one another. This is what Jesus is going to come around in the end and say later. Look, you guys, you guys went about this all wrong. And when you go about it in a worldly way, in a selfish way, in a self-centered way, what you end up doing is quarreling and fighting with one another. The disciples don't turn to Jesus looking for aid to accomplish it because I wonder if they think that finally, finally, they found a demon he can't do something about. I mean, at least the Father says, if you can help him, help him. The disciples are just standing there. They don't even, their faith doesn't even rise to the level of this Father. I, I find that troubling. Troubling, and and I've had a new believer standing there, and they're telling me about what they're hoping God's going to do, and I find myself trying to temper their expectations. Has this ever happened to you? Listen, buddy, I've been around in the church a while now, and I think you're asking a little much. You might want to rethink what you're asking, because you may actually be asking him to do something he can't do at at this time. Have you guys ever given, as an older Christian, advice to a younger Christian? And, and, and if you really stop and thought about it, right, the one who has more faith is the new Christian? The disciples think they are the source of their own power. They think because Jesus gave them the authority, they have this authority, it's their authority, they will use it when they want to use it, and, be, and if it doesn't work, They've forgotten where it came from. They, they think, because I cast out demons before, I'll always be able to cast out demons. Because I overcame temptations once, I'll always be able to overcome temptations. There was that one time I loved that unlovely person, and now every time I meet an unlovely person, that's what I'm going to do is love them. And then you go, and what happens? Right? There's a ton going on here. How many of you guys have ever thought, well, you know, I've, I've, I've beat that sin. Right? Conquered that one. Whew! That was a close call. And you walk out the front door and you stumble and fall over the same sin. you're like, wait wait a minute, I had authority, I had the strength and the power over these demons to cast them out. I have it, so what's the matter now? Well, Paul expressed exactly what's going on here in Galatians. Because this is what the disciples are doing. In chapter 3, verse 2 through 6 of Galatians, this is what we read. Let me ask you only this. Just this, one simple question. Or by hearing with faith, just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Are they walking by faith or are they walking by presumption? Right? Because that works the law. If we do this, this will happen. Right? Jesus gave us the authority. So what we do is we look at the guy who's possessed by the demon and we say, I rebuke thee, leave him. and, And this is how it always works. This is law. Right? This is cause and effect. But they didn't get this power of the Holy Spirit by, by the law, by obeying the law. They, they got it by believing in the one who gave them the authority. That is what this exorcism story is about. They have forgotten who gave them the authority. They have forgotten the source of their strength and their power. Coming down off the mountain, Jesus is showing why the power of the spirit is is so important in the ministry of the church. He said, "It's better that I go away." That one always stumps me too. Why would Jesus, why would it be better not to have Jesus here with us? Have you ever thought about that? He says that, and I'm I'm flummoxed every time I think about it. I would rather have Jesus, frankly. But he thinks it's better that he goes away because if he goes away, then he'll send us the Spirit because he is, in fact, the Spirit, is the forgotten God, especially amongst Reformed types. Sorry to generalize. But he is the one we typically forget. Father, done. Son, got it. King, done. Sovereignty of the Lord, awesome. Oh, there is this (laughs) power of God that goes out that You can't see, you can't taste, you, can't, you don't know when it's coming, you don't know where it's going, and it moves, and it works inside of us when we're reading scripture, it works inside of us when we're singing songs, it works inside of us when we're praying, and that is the, the thing that connects us directly to the glory that they saw on top of the mountain. Do you want that glory on top of the mountain that you saw all the time, right? Peter wants to make it. tents, he's forgotten, he doesn't know, he misunderstands that he is the tent. Jesus is coming down off the mountain, and he wants them to, right? You guys have, rather I'm here or not, there's someone that you have forgotten. And that is what this story is about, the God that they forgot. It's disastrous when men and women from whom the power of faith should be expected are proven to be void of power when it is needed. The healing of the possessed boy demonstrates what faith expressed through prayer can accomplish, even though Jesus was absent from the disciples. He doesn't have to be there. There are pastoral overtones throughout this whole account, which has pointed relevance, relevance I'm sorry for the original recipients in the community of Rome. Remember, those poor Christians reading this book for the first time in the catacombs in Rome. They felt powerless and defeated in the absence of the Lord at a critical moment in their experience, right? If you're reading this gospel, hiding in catacombs, you probably wonder, right, where the power, how powerful are you? How capable are you? Now, the same principle that they experienced, the same reason that Mark wrote it is true for us. But our powerlessness and and defeat stems from having too much, not having too little. Our apathy was attained through aphoros. We, too, are powerless. We, too, are ineffectual. And we, too, have forgotten the source of our power. But it's not because we lack things like the Romans, Roman Christians did. It's because we have too many things. Right? This is what I said a few weeks ago. It is very difficult for rich people to get into heaven because they don't think they need it. Right, I, I, my, my poor son struggles with this, and I struggle with this too. Dad, am I still going to be able to play with Legos in heaven? Because he has a hard time, right? He has so many Legos, an abundance of Legos, and they're glorious. And it's like, I can't imagine something better than this. And I feel them, because I'm really worried I'm not going to be able to eat T-bone steaks anymore. And you're like, Mike, come on. But think about it. Doesn't that idea of like, okay, what? You're like, man, heaven. Heaven sounds glorious. And then you start to think, well, what are we going to do for all that time? And then you start to worry, well, will I still be able to work? Will I still be able to shoot my clock? Will I still be able to play football? I mean, could you imagine the all-Madden team, the actual all-Madden football team playing a real football game? Right? We are just like those Roman Christians. The problem is it's not because they've taken everything from us. Right? Because this is, Satan has two ways of dealing with people. The Job option, which is take everything from them, and the Solomon option, which is give them everything. You take everything from them and try to get them to curse God. You give everything to people and you try to get them to forget God. Now, which group are we? (laughs) Okay, if you think you're Job, come and see me. We have a lot of work to do. We, right? Satan looks at modern Christians and he thinks, I'm going with the Solomon option. Solomon option, let's just give them tons of stuff, all the riches of the, of the world, all the affluence of the world, right? Their leader, what we call the leader of the free world, right? Did you guys ever think, right? You, in a sense, in one sense, rule the world simply because we go and we vote for the guy who rules this country, and, and you're telling me that <laughs> Satan isn't pulling the Solomon option on us? So, this is why Jesus responds the way he does, right? Jesus opens his mouth, and what does he say in response to all of this? This is what he says in verse 19. And he answered them, O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. How long do I have to put up with you people? How, like, Jesus, think about how compassionate Jesus is. Think about how loving Jesus is. And he's standing there, and he's just like, oh, oh, you people. Oh, you people. Oh, no, we're not there yet. We're not there yet at the top of the mountain where we can just live forever. We got a long way to go, kids. Have you got parents? My poor sweet daughter, we were in the car the other day, and we did, we, we literally turned off of the street we were on, right? we live on, to another street, and she asked if we were there yet. And I was like, um... Like, we're still at the start. And for a moment, I was like, how long do I have to put up with this? <laughs> how long do I have to endure these questions? How frustrated do you think Jesus must be here? This faithless generation. Faithless. Now, it's not that they're lacking faithfulness to him. That's not quite what he means. They lack faith. They don't believe. Whoa, 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 whoa. No, 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 but I, I do believe. What? Okay, you do believe. You believe in me. All right. Here's the boy with the demon. Cast it out. Oh, well, you can't. Right. And we're very uncomfortable of, of talking about the Christian faith this way. You can't do the simple things that Christ calls you to do. And why? It, right. Is there something wrong with him, or is there something wrong with you? Love your wife as Christ loved the church. Go ahead. Oh, you lack faith, right? Do we ever talk to each other this way? Half of the counseling, well, half, come on, all of it, when it really comes down to it is I'm trying as I'm trying to get them to deal with the thing that they don't believe. If you believed this, you would do this. And, and if we work on what you are believing and not believing, that tends to fix what you're doing and not doing. It's not behavioralism. It's not just like, well, we're going to give you some new habits. It's let's deal with what you're believing. You're a faithless generation. And Jesus here, he understands the scriptures. He's, he's quoting very closely Psalm 95.10, and this is what it says. For 40 years, I loathed, I loathed that generation and said they are a people who go astray in their heart and they have not known my ways. <laughs> and what people were those? Uh, that was uh, Israel coming out of Egypt. I, he, Do you know how frustrated and tired of those people God must have been by the end? Oh, my gosh, I buried the last one. <sighs> okay, new generation. Let's do this. this is going to happen. This is Jesus. He comes down off the mountain, and here are these disciples, and he thinks, you know, I stayed up all night picking which 12 I was going to use. Maybe I should have spent stayed up on the mountain praying for two nights, because this gang of guys I'm working with leaves a little. But, but this is what I like. What would you do at this point? Yeah, you haven't been at it that long. The start wasn't that long ago. You could just go back and start over, right? Man, this isn't working out, I'm going to get a new job. This isn't working out, I'm going to get a new spouse. This isn't working out, I'm going to get me some new kids. This isn't working out, right? And so we go and we get new stuff. We start over. Because we don't have the patience, we don't have the love, we don't have the apathy. I'm sorry, the empathy. Thank you. I sometimes get those two confused. I appreciate that. We don't have the empathy it requires to put up with broken people. And so what you see here for a moment is how hard it is for Jesus, but what does he do? Bring the boy to me. He's not done with them yet. He's not done with them yet. He's like, listen, let me... Okay, I've taught this 50 times. Now we're going to go for the second 50 times. And when we get to 100, we'll reassess and see how we're doing from that point. Bring me the boy. Because what God never forgets, that we almost always forget... It's Philippians 1.6. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to a completion in the day of Jesus Christ. He looks down at you and he says, whatever it takes. Whatever it takes. Do you, do you believe that? Now, if you don't believe that, look at his son. <laughs> whatever it takes, he says. I know that this, this was a phrase that made, made very popular with the Avengers movie. There are all, all the superheroes are standing there and they're like, Whatever it takes, bro. And, and the only way they could really express that in that movie is having characters die for other characters. <laughs> Even as bad as that movie is in the franchise, don't get me started. But my point is that they couldn't express it in any other way. Because this is the way God, I, up in heaven, he's on the mountain. I'm not going to stay here. There's suffering and there's demons. We're going to go down there and we're going to take care of business, whatever it takes. Bring me the boy, he says. And this is what happens. For one who believes, immediately the father of the child cried out and said, "I believe, help my unbelief." By reducing the son to complete helplessness, the unclean spirit is betraying his malicious intent. He wants this boy to die. His question concerning the length of time the boy has been subject to this to such attacks shows his deep humanity and sympathy for them. He sees it, and he Im- immediately starts asking questions. Jesus wants to know how long has this poor boy been suffering this way? Now, there's a very interesting detail here. Back in the very beginning of Jesus' story here in Mark, he went out into the wilderness and who attacked him? Satan. And what did Satan use to attack him? The Word of God, the Word of God. He comes to him and he says, well, you know, and he quotes scripture. And, and he's, he was tempting Jesus away from following the true path, e- using the word of God, the means of grace. Peter, when Jesus tells him what kind of Messiah he's going to be, rebukes him. Now, that word rebuke is the same word that they use to cast out demons. And so Peter was trying to cast out the spirit of Jesus Christ. Because it was opposed to the spirit that was in Peter. Think about that. He was trying to exercise the spirit out of Jesus. Using that same authority that Jesus had given him. Now what you have is, this, what is the demon doing? The demon is throwing the boy down in what? Water and fire. We read in Mark 1.8, I have baptized you with water, John the Baptist says, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. So the very things that J- Jesus is going to use to sanctify and purify people, this demon is using to try to destroy people. And this is what Satan always does. Didn't God say? right? He uses the word of God, he uses the means of grace to attack us. And I don't think we think about this often enough. right? How many of you guys have ever been sitting there and suddenly like... You're overcome with guilt. There's this verse in the Bible, and it just keeps coming up, and it keeps coming up, and you're feeling very convicted, and you're feeling very broken. And 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 it's the Word of God, but it's causing you to feel condemned. You're feeling condemnation. I'm telling you, that's not of the Lord. That's a spirit, but it's not the Holy Spirit. Because if the Word of God brings you conviction that leads to crying out for mercy, that leads to the joy of your salvation, that is the Holy Spirit. This is something that people have a very difficult time understanding, that, oh, it happened in my own head, it must be coming from me. And we live in in an enlightened world that does not believe in the spiritual realm. But if if the things that God has given us as the means of grace to enliven our faith, to humble us, to, to get us to repent and turn to him, are instead causing us condemnation and death and brokenness that is not healed by the word of God, then it's a spirit, but it's not the spirit. This is something that in our age is just as bad as anything. The the belief that there isn't something spiritual going on. And there is. Because what do we fight? We're not fighting against flesh and blood, blood, it says, but against the principalities and powers of the air. This is why if you ever read the book Screwtape by C.S. Lewis it, to understand how this works. I, it's, I mean, I, I've read theology on it, but read Screwtape Letters by C.S. Lewis to understand what I'm talking about. There are spirits at work against us. Now, let's get into this conversation here because it's fascinating. Verse 23 well, hold on, back up. Jesus seized upon the Father's words at the point where they were most tempered with doubt. Because the man says, If you can. And Jesus responds, As regards your remark about my ability to help your son, I tell you, everything depends on your ability to believe, not mine to act. Jesus turns it right around. We we go to Jesus, we go to God telling him, Could you do this? Can you do that? Can you do this? Can you believe? Can you believe I can? Why, why are you putting it back on me, man? I came to you with the question. Can he? I mean, <laughs> so there's two things here. Do you believe he can? What's the thing that's troubling your heart? What's the thing in this world that you see that is is causing brokenness, like like this boy? Do you go to him and say, you know... If you can, can you do something about this? Do you even have the faith to ask that question? Some of us don't even have the faith to ask the question. I don't even have enough faith to ask God to do X, Y, or Z. That's why so many people don't pray about abortion. Because you think, well, what can we, I mean, what are we going to do? You I mean, you need like Supreme Court justices and stuff. You need like a, the president to do something. I can't ask for that. And, and, and this goes for all kinds of things. There's all kinds of things we don't pray about because we don't actually believe God can do it. Now, okay, you actually bring it to him and you're like, all right, listen, I'm going to just temper this because I want to be very humble, if you can do something. But that false humility, what does that really, what does that really reveal? What you think about God. Not what God thinks about what he can do. Right, it said for us in James, you ask, you, you do not receive because you do not ask, and, or you're asking inappropriately you're, to spend it on your own passions. Because how many of you guys, right, try this, God, if you can, give me a six-pack abs. And you wake up the next morning, you're like, loser, look at that guy, you can't do what I, I ask. I asked him for one simple thing, how hard is it? I, 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 all I wanted was my boss not to be a jerk. All I wanted was a Christian boss. How hard is that? And he doesn't do it. And you think, right? Because why are you really asking (laughs) to not have a jerk for a boss? The reason you don't want a jerk for a boss is because they're hard to deal with. And that might cause sanctification in your life. And that's painful. And we don't want that. So what what we're going to do is we're just going to walk around in this sullen attitude. It's not whether he can. It's whether you believe he can. Now, rather you believe he can, what? <laughs> Do the things consistent with his own character, right? Dear God, please destroy California. <laughs> please? I mean, it's just one state. I mean, come on, you took care of Sodom and Gomorrah pretty quick. And he's in heaven, he's like, well, <laughs> clearly you don't know me very well. Clearly, you don't know me very well. And that is the problem. It's not what I can do. It's what you believe I can do. And, and, and the man expresses, right? He understands. He accepts Jesus' comment about him. He understands that he is, is faithless just like the scribes and just like the disciples. He, he's not angry about what Jesus is saying. You're right, Jesus. You're right. I, I do believe, but help my unbelief. And I mean, that sounds like a contradiction in terms, but that's that man is being honest. That man's theology is really good. I absolutely believe this, and at, at the same time, I don't believe it at all. Right? We all believe that God exists everywhere at once, and yet we go into a, a dark room and we turn, turn off the lights and we turn on the computer, right? Or, or we're gossiping or we're thinking thoughts in our own minds, thinking that he's not there. So in one sense we do believe he's everywhere and in another sense we don't. This seems like Christianity 101. Why is it so hard for us to get? The honesty and the humility of this man, he gets it. He gets it. And another thing is he he's supposing that Jesus can't do it because his disciples couldn't do it. And and we got to own that. How many people in the church, right? Somebody comes to you and and this is this is happening to with unbelievers and believers. There was an unbeliever I was really angry with one time at work. Really angry with them because they they were an idiot. right? And and I wasn't like, how long do I have to put up with this? And then was like, hey, let me show you some compassion. I was like, how long do I have to put up with this? And I'm going to yell at you for 15 minutes here in front of everybody. Right? Do you think that person would have ever come to church with me? Right? If that's what his, right, this is an old saying atheists have, Jesus, save me from your followers. Think about that. That's something that I know lots of unbelievers say that. Lord, save me from your followers. <laughs> because the followers are like, right? what are the disciples doing? They're completely failing. They're not showing where their power comes from. They're not witnessing to who Jesus is and what he can do through them if they believe in him. They're causing this man to not believe. Not be, right. They're causing unbelief, not belief. The kingdom of God goes out in power because his spirit indwells us. And when his spirit isn't dwelling us, what we're doing is we're, right? we're representing Christ well. We're showing forth the power of God. We're being the people that he made us to be, that he saved us to be. And we have to own the fact that we're not always walking by the Spirit. This is what we're going to get into. There is a difference between having the Spirit and walking by the Spirit. And we've got to own the times when we're not walking by the Spirit. Because there are people who won't go into churches. They don't know Jesus from a hole in the wall. What they know is you. And you are preventing people from going to church. That guy's a Christian? Right? That guy? And and you're like... And it's not because he's living like a martyr. And it's not like he's, he's so righteous and holy that it's causing real indignation. It's because that guy is no different than me. This is what it says in verse 25. And when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out, and the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said, he is dead. And Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. Now, what's going on here? There are a couple of words we have to look at specifically. He looks like a corpse. Now, is he a corpse or not a corpse? He looks like a corpse, and that is not definitive. But the word lifted him up and he arose is is the words that they always use when they resurrect someone. How serious was this demon possessing this boy? It was so serious that it killed him to get it out of him. It killed him. Now, at no point in this story has has Jesus rebuked a, a spirit to leave somebody, and it caused the death of the person the spirit was indwelling. This is where the story is different than the other stories. Something has happened. This is now. This is the time in Jesus' life where he set his face to Jerusalem. He's ha, he's had the talk with Moses and Elijah. He understands things are now very serious. He's got to rebuke his own disciples as as if they're thinking like Satan. And now he goes down here and just to get the 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 wickedness out of this boy, it kills him. So to get the wickedness out of the world, what's it gonna what what has to happen? Hey, disciples, remember how we were on the mountain and there was all that glory and I said there was still the way of the cross? This is what it looks like. This is what's necessary. You guys want to just go up on the mountain and live there and stay away from this. But this, we need to come down here where the suffering is and do something about it. Well, what are we going to possibly do about this world, God? I mean, look around. It's easier just to turn the TV up. It's easier to turn the music up. It's easier to pop another beer, smoke another joint. It's easier to avoid because what could possibly change? What can possibly be changed in this world? Look at how bad it is. Jesus' battle with Satan's wrong grows and intensity and greater feats of strength are required. And when he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. Hmm. Right? This, I remember Steve read this at one point like seven months ago. And he said, like, good luck. Good luck with what that means. And I, and I thought at the time, I was like, why are you saying that?" Because that's true. I have no idea. Right? When I just sat down and read this, I was like, Where do you start with this? What do you mean by prayer? And the fact that we don't automatically understand it is exactly the reason we have to go over what this story consists of so carefully. Because we're like, okay, well, everything else has failed. Let's pray. (laughs) Let's pray, right? And and there there was a pastor I was reading about. I forget who it was, and he he had so much to do. There was too much to do. it It was impossible, it was impossible. So he spent the first four hours of every day praying. Jesus goes on a mountain and prays all night to, to, to choose 12 disciples. They come to him and they say, hey, Jesus, teach us how to pray. Why did they do that? Why did they come to him? Right? They were Jews. They knew how to pray. What do they mean by that? Well, there's something about what he is doing and his prayer life. Right? And Right? I, You go into this private room, and now Jesus is going to give us a long discourse about the different levels of spirits and the different tactics and the different verses you have to use and all the little mumbo-jumbo that all the exorcists were using. He's like, you just pray. This one is so wicked, so evil. What it requires is the absolute dependence, the absolute expression of faith and humility only achieved in prayer. Because when you're praying, what, what are you admitting at that point? I'm getting on my knees, I'm putting my hands together, and I'm crying out for God to do something because he is the only one who can do anything in this situation. And we think we think that's like the real, right? Well, we'll do all everything we can think of, and then we'll start with that. No, this is the kind of demon, <laughs> just quoting some Bible verses ain't going to work. Their lack of humility, their lack of faith is demonstrated in the fact that they they did not pray. They had forgotten what the source of their power was. What was the source of Jesus' power? Every time, what does he, right? He's going to go on the cross. He goes in the garden and he prays. He goes to where Lazarus is buried. And what does he say? He says, he lifts his eyes to heaven. He says, God, I know you always hear me, but I'm having this conversation with you out loud so that all of these people standing around can see how this works. I'm about to raise somebody from the dead, and I don't just do that willy-nilly. I need your strength to do it. This is why they come to him and say, teach us to pray, because that is the source of your power. The source of his power is prayer. They have the Holy Spirit, and we think, just like them, we have it, and so we walk by it. But that's not how it works, ladies and gentlemen. Because I, I want to be very careful here, because this confuses people. There are different ways ways of having the Spirit. It's like amperage, right? You guys know what amperage is, right? You can you, more amperage or less amperage based on what the gauge of the wire. The bigger the wire, the more amperage you can have pouring through there. If you have a Bible, take it with me to Genesis chapter one. There's a couple of interesting things here. I, this this is the closing. Here, because having the spirit, which we all know we do, is not the same thing as walking by the spirit, which we all assume we're doing. Genesis chapter one, verse one and two. What does it say in the beginning was who? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. There's this mist. There's a mist there. Now, if you go to chapter 2, verse 2, or chapter 2, verse 6 and 7 in Genesis, it, it follows up from that, right? There's this mist. There's the Holy Spirit of God there participating in all of this creation story. And it says in chapter 2, verse 6, And a mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground. When the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, the man became a living creature. Now, if you're not careful, what you're going to say is, well, everyone has the Holy Spirit. And you're like, true, everyone has the Holy Spirit. Everyone. You can't be alive if you don't have the Holy Spirit. Same thing with Jesus. Everything was made in him and through him and for him. And in him, everything consists. So everyone is in Christ. Is is that in Christ the same thing as when Ephesians says that believers are in Christ? No. No, no. And it's the same with the spirit. Every person has the spirit. Job 33, 4 says, the spirit of God has made me and the breath of the almighty gives me life. But then we go to John chapter 20, verse 22 through 23, and this is what we read. And when Jesus had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. Now that sounds an awful lot like the creation of man. He breathes out. The breath of God is the Holy Spirit. And he breathes out on all of his disciples. And then what actually happens in Acts? A divided tongues of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes down out of heaven. Well, they already had the Holy Spirit, didn't they? Yes, yes. But th- there are levels of engagement. There's levels of connection. There are connective, there's a cable that runs between it. And the smaller your cable is, the smaller the amperage is. Having the spirit is not walking by the spirit. 2 Timothy 1.7, for God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Anybody need some love? <laughs> Anybody need some self-control? Anybody need some power? The disciples needed all three. And did they think, you know, you know, when I need bread, you know where I go? The bread store. When I need gasoline, I, right, I go to the gasoline store. When I need Holy Spirit, I go not to the Holy Spirit store, but to God, because that's where it comes from. I need power. I need love. I need self-control. Romans chapter 8, verse 26 through 27. Likewise, the Spirit, it helps us in our weakness, if you're not weak, he doesn't help you. He doesn't help you in your strength. He helps you in your weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words, and he who searches hearts knows what is in the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Anybody needs some will of God? Right? Oh, no, no, I've got a will. Mine's just fine. Mine works just fine. Weakness, I don't have any weakness. I'm perfectly strong. James chapter 5, verse 16, the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. That is probably one of the most difficult verses for any of us to believe. A righteous person, so Jesus can pray and that's powerful? No, see, you're righteous because he's righteous. And if you are praying, then that prayer has power. There's nothing else that you're doing that has as much power as prayer. Prayer life is a thermostat and a thermometer. It tells you how hot your spiritual life is and it is the thing that heats up your spiritual life. Right? I'm with James. He's he, he, right? You have faith, show me your You have faith, you believe in God, show me your works. You have faith? Show me your prayer life. Anyone who believes, show me your prayer life and we'll see exactly how much you believe. Because the more you believe in what he can do, the more you're going to him to ask him to do it. The more you think you can do, the more, you, how stronger you think you are, the more you think you have it all figured out, that you know what needs to happen, you're not going to go to him in prayer. It is a thermostat and a thermometer. Is your Christian life cold, lifeless, apathetic? Right? If you don't know, look at your prayer life. Right? If you want more, pray more. That's what this story is about. They couldn't do it because they didn't pray. Right? The, the father comes and he cries out to God. He, he puts his eyes towards the God word. And what does he receive? He cries out in his weakness, and his unbelief. Well, I can't tell God that I don't believe. He, would, he wouldn't accept that. My parents don't accept that. Right? How, how comfortable are your children in their own home talking about how hard it is to believe these things? I learned this from Steve years ago. If my son has a difficult time believing that there are three gods in one, I, I want to be the first one to know. And I, I am not going to spank him. I'm going to sit down and say, you know what? I gotta have a hard time believing that too. One to another. Well, I can't tell people I'm weak. I can't tell people that I, I lack faith. I can't tell people that I'm struggling it's the only way that you're going to deal with the problem. Because then what you'll do is you go to God in prayer and you'll say, I am weak. I do not know. Your boat, your big giant sailboat that God has given you, it's stuck in something that they call the doldrums. And the doldrums is very hot. And the doldrums has a little wind. And when you get into a doldrums, you're just sitting there baking. And, and, and all the ships of the sail, like all of, everything used to melt. Everything holding the planks of the boat together would start to melt. It was so hot and there's no wind and there's, they can't get anywhere and they actually start to go a little mad. And, right? And this is what happens to so many of us. This beautiful ship that he's given us, we've, we've steered it into the doldrums and we've forgotten, right? The spirit is like the wind. Do you need more wind? Can you control the wind? Who can? Who can? Well, not you. Not me. Do you believe that God can control the wind? Do you believe that God will give you more spirit? Do you believe that God will turn up the amperage, the connection between you and him, and he will pour more into you? Do you believe? Father, we thank you so much for this, your day, to come into your throne room and to draw near to you. We pray, Lord God, that as we go from here, that you would enliven our hearts, that you would enliven our prayer, We pray, Lord God, that you you would give us eyes to see our own lives. How much do we believe? How well are we walking by the Spirit? I pray, Lord God, that you would give us eyes to see, and not not for morbid introspection, but to understand our own lives and where we are uh, in desperate need of more Christ, more Spirit, more of the Father. I pray, Lord God, that you would give us the ability to comprehend our own hearts and minds, that you would give us the faith and the humility to cry out to you, Lord God, because you are, in fact, the one who hears us, you are the one who cares, and you are the one who will pour your spirit out in abundance. And amen.